don't know if I'll be able to stay the whole time. Oh, bye. Okay, welcome everyone. This is Hav Holden Cherish lesson number two. We're going to talk about a little bit more in depth into intimacy and marriage, and we're going to share ideas that uh, are not, might not be popular opinions. Opinion, but is Torah, and Torah is truth, and truth is timeless. So, Amen. So we could always apply it, and we could always learn from it. And who better to learn about intimacy and marriage than from I the... I like this first question. ...that from the designer of intimacy and marriage in the first place. So this class is going to be a little bit more about things that your Hebrew school teacher didn't really talk to you in school. I don't know what Hebrew school you went to. I went to Chabad in town. This is what they taught us. Yeah? As a, as a Hebrew school? Are you open up? Yeah. Is it not open? You talk, Leia Sholish taught us all about sexual intimacy. I'm telling you right now. Uh, in Hebrew school? Oh, yeah, of course. We okay. So you have a good teacher. Really? What did I say? No, I'm being super sarcastic. I was like, oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> of course no. not. My like, Hebrew school did I not teach me that. I was like, My Hebrew school did not I teach me that. Yeah. Hi. Really for some right. Hello. It is welcome, so welcome. Funny. Hi. Hey, Molly. Hello. How are you? I was like, I need to sit next to me. Josh, do you left that door open? Yeah. You want me to close it? No, it's okay. Great. Uh, welcome, welcome, everyone. Just on time. This is the second episode, or the second class yeah. on. Yeah, second episode of the second class. <laughs> and on this marriage course, or relationship, or the Jewish secret, secret to lasting love. Ideas we're going to share now are Torah ideas. We're going to see sources from, from the Tanakh, from the Torah itself, from the, from the Bible, from the Talmud, and from Hasidic philosophy, and, and have an insight on the beauty and the relationship that it has between a husband and wife. Okay, so we could start with page number 34. 34. And the question that we're going to address this book? class, yeah. the question that we're going to address this class is, it as it says in page 34, class. is God in the bedroom? Yeah, this might be a provocative question, but these are things that need to be asked specifically. There's so many answers I can give you right now that I'm not going to say. Again, God in the bedroom. People say his name. Is it Hashem? <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. They do. If they call or not is different. The question is, the question is if, if it's present. That's the question. I'm just saying. And also we le- we're learning the Jewish... Um, um, view on intimacy and marriage, so I don't think that would apply. Well, that. I've taught that God is everywhere. So, um. so okay, so I, we need we need to understand more what what the stand. I'm not saying your statement is wrong. I'm just saying that we need to elaborate on what you just said and and maybe break a little a little a few misconceptions that we have about relationship and marriage. Okay, so we could start with learning exercise right away. What benefits does sexual intimacy brings to one's marriage? I'm going to give you 30 seconds for this. If you want to write it down, you're welcome. Um, 
Okay, anyone wants to share? Sure. If you're comfortable, yes, Zach. Okay, so I wrote down a few. I wrote intimacy, connection, okay. which is similar to the next one, closeness, and then like specialness or like uniqueness, like, like you know, you only share that between each other. And then of course, children. Um, I put communication because you need to communicate what you're comfortable with, you need to communicate multiple different things. Um, emotions, um, connection as well. Great. Yeah. Fun, playfulness. Right. Outlet to express uh, your emotional connection physically. I said physical and emotional closeness to partner. Okay. Yeah, these are all things that are part of, uh, of the sexual intimacy. Now, from what you guys wrote down, does, does all of those um, all the things you get wrote down, do you see like a uh, holy aspect to it? Or how do you... I don't see anything holy about it. Okay, so Mina says that she doesn't see anything holy about none of the things. Closeness, um, playfulness. Uh, um... I, I know, I think in general, I don't see anything holy. Maybe like those particular feelings in like for like a marriage or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we've all discussed that like, you know, I don't know if that's ever a path I'll take, but like... Um, I think if it's like some, I just don't see sex, sex as holy in any way, shape, or form. Great. Okay. So you could lead us straight to the next, to the last line, the case for celibacy. A question for this question. Why, why is celibacy held up as such a high spiritual ideal? And what I mean with this is like a lot of religions have specifically, um, I mean, in the past also here, but that the priest or that the person who wants to really, really connect to God, he needs to abstain himself from getting married. And this is a practical, this is a practice sense. that, no, question, why does it make sense? Because you, when, especially in religion, you only, a lot of religions, a lot of people, only has sex with that one partner and it's something that it's a connection between them and it's something through love and like and and so much spirit and you holiness to them I, I think that for those that completely abstain yeah. like you think of like um ministers or pastors or like buddhist monks or whatever i think that it's um seen as something that is um um, it like tarnishes you or it like affects you it, it, I think, uh, it, it? it clouds your judgment maybe it uh, allows you to go down um, an unholy path or an unclean it path, unleads a temptation, things like that that strays you from um, your divine like, um, devotion to God, devotion to God, uh, divine path or trajectory for your life, like uh, might steer you away from what you're meant to do. Um, so I think that is why we see these figures and these many of these religions that hold celibacy to such high regard because it's it keeps you on the the righteous path. 
but why is sex associated with something unrighteous or unholy? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Judaism doesn't what? believe that. We don't I'm have any priests or anybody who have to abstain. I asked a nun one time. She said, "I can't be a mother to one person so that I can be a mother to everybody." Which okay. to me made sense. She's like, I'm not going to have kids for my own, so I can be mothering and caring for other people. So the practicality equally, just, like, not equally love people. everybody, not just one over the other. That makes sense. Okay, Jewish Torah has something to say about that that we're going to see later on. But we don't, also in Judaism we don't have any nuns. No, we don't have a in our Judaism celibacy isn't a thing unless you're waiting till marriage. And then you once you're married, it's oh, actually yeah. a mitzvah. The, the guys that like don't have wine or something, is that different? Like, the nazir? A nazir, yeah, that's yeah, uh, so correct. That's different. I, I, and the nazir, he abstains himself only from wine or grapes. Or, I'm sorry, what's a nazir? So a nazir is someone who takes an oath that he's not going to um, get drunk or get intoxicated, and he... What does he do for Reagan's? his haircut. He doesn't. He doesn't do for Reagan's? That's, that's why, you know, it's a real challenge. It's not a... We have him today. So an, the, the actual practice of a Nazir doesn't exist anymore simply because a Nazir, the process was to bring... Number one was the fact of, of behaving and abstaining mm-hmm. himself. So that's number two was that the culmination of the, of the Nazirus or the, of, the, of the process of a Nazir was that he went to the temple and he brought a sacrifice and, and he cut his hair... And, and you get a haircut. Um, so nowadays, the practice of a nazir, uh, um, it's, not, it's not active anymore. Um, but the concept of a nazir, um, it's in the Torah. It's, oh, it's in the Torah, it's in the, the Bible. Shimshon, right? Shimshon was a nazir, yeah, Shimshon was a, uh, was a prophet, but he also was, a, a, from birth, says that he was already um, secluded to serve God. And, and said, it says that his strength well, as the story goes, that his strength was, the source of his strength was from his hair, that the hair represented this connection to God with God, and once the hair was chopped by Delilah, Delilah so then he lost all his strength, and the Philistines... Is that why you don't shave your beard? So the beard is, is a different reason, that's more of a Kabbalistic reason, or more of a, a mystic reason, that's why um, people who learn mysticism are those who grow beards, specifically Hasidim, um, a lot of other people, a lot of other realms of Judaism don't learn Hasidos or don't learn uh, Jewish mysticism, and that's why the, the, the value of, of keeping a beard, it's not there. Um, but that, it's a, it's a, different, it's a, it's a different reason. The, actually, it's not totally, totally disconnected. So I'm going to open a tab over here. The idea of, of hair in Judaism represents outgrowth of a lot of energy. So that's why when you look our, our, at our... Uh, biology, we see that we have here specifically places where they have a lot, a lot of energy. For example, the head. The head has a lot of energy. The brain. All the senses go through the head. Our sexual parts. Sexual parts of our hair as well. Because the hair is an outgrowth of, um, of intense energy that overflows. So when the Nazir is actually growing his hair, it's as well an expression of that outgrowth of, of, of or even more connection that he's secluding himself for God, and that's why even his hair is something holy that he's not able to cut. Um, that's the reason why we don't uh, cut our beard, because, uh, well, we don't shave, because the, the hair of the beard is also considered something holy, um, unlike the, the hairs of the head, that only a nazir, or only someone who makes that promise, so then that hair has a certain sanctity. Um, but it has, it has the same... Um, Underlying reason is the same because there is an outgrowth of extra 
power and extra um, holiness. But uh, the head, the hair of the head and of the beard, they have ultimately two different tracks. And, 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 and yeah, thank God, because having a beard on a, on a long hair, that would be a little bit too much. <laughs> Anyways, so there's a, there's a lot of opinions over here. They go back and forth that apparently, you know, uh, intimacy might be something that is totally unholy or that is something holy. So, I mean, not yet. We didn't see the holy part of it. Uh, so it's not, a mitzvah gonna, to be intimate. It is. And you're jumping now to the, to the Jewish part. We're now making a case for celibacy. And then we're going to see what's Torah's perspective on intimacy. And why is it a mitzvah, like you're saying. Um, so, Nat, you want to read text 135? Yeah. In a religious setting, the obstacle the body imposes on one's mind would be conceptualized as a barrier between the individual and God. Therefore, to become closer to God means to become alienated from one's body and bodily functions first and foremost from sexual drive. As a result, the abstinence from sex was regarded by this intellectual and emotional stance as leading to more perfect human state and to closeness to God. Right, so we see in writing basically what, what you guys said, what you, what the nuns said, what, you know, a lot of the argument that, that uh, sex for itself is something that is very indulging, is something that is very, you know, low. And if someone wants to be close to God, so he needs to be abstain, abstain from it. And therefore, a lot of people and a lot of religions, uh, the, the priest or the, the holiest people, or those who practice, or those who want to be closest to God, they practice celibacy. Now, is this the Jewish view? Is this the Torah view? No, the Kohen weren't celibate. The Kohens were not. Actually, the Kohen, um, the Kohen the, said that the priest at the service of Yom Kippur, he needed to have a wife. It says that if a Kohen wasn't married, they like married him in order for him to be able to do the service. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing. Or else I wouldn't have been born. So Right, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Thank God you have all the lineage up there. <laughs> I know, right? So is that your hair? Yeah. So are you just saying Kohens are hornier than the rest? <laughs> Look, you could interpret it however you want. The point is that Kohanimar Holier. That's what it sounds like you're saying. Kwanim need to be, in other words, getting married is a very humbling, we're going to see, is a very humbling experience because it's not about you anymore, it's about someone else. And a Kohen, that he's in the, in the sacrifices of Yom Kippur, that he's asking or he's advocating for other people, for the Jewish people, he needs to have this component of, humil of, of humility and to be humble. If he's not married, he just doesn't get it. So that's why the Kohen, that's the underlying reason why the Kohen needs to be married, because he needs to be able to um, so tap into this. So the on Yom Kippur? Uh, no. And Yom Kippur itself is forbidden. I was about to say, you're not getting enough anything in your body. It's not healthy. That, that I don't know. But uh, Yom Kippur is, is just five things that are forbidden, or we abstain to do in Yom Kippur. Actually, that's one of the things that um, Yom Kippur is might be the day that the connection with God is the strongest, and... What are the five things you abstain from? Eating, drinking, um, intimate relations. Wearing leather. Wearing leather and washing, um, and washing hands or, or, or ointments or any question. ointments. Question, very serious yeah. question, because of corona, yeah. right. is washing hands okay? Yeah, the rabbis said that even on Shabbat, um, everyone was able to wash hands, okay. they, they, they gave up permission. But okay, let's keep on, let's keep a little bit of back on track um, and let's keep all the questions 
have a pen, let's write the questions on the side, and, and, and we'll tackle them when we finish with, with whatever sources we have over here. Uh, there was a story that, uh, you know, they, that one of the, in those Eastern religions where they practiced um, the celibacy, they, they, they were um, digitalizing all the archives. And in the middle of the digitalizing process, the guy who wasn't doing this process burst into the room and says, guys, the word is celebrate. <laughs> okay, we'll see what the Torah, what's the Jewish view on, on intimacy and, you know, how intimacy is a part of Judaism and, and how we should be looking, what should be our perspective uh, to intimacy and hopefully that will give us, if, you, if we have uh, the proper um, perspective, so then marriage and the process of marriage is totally different. Okay, um, Molly, you want to read text 2A? Sure. The entire world was never as perfect as the day that Song of Songs was given to Israel. For all the scriptures are holy, but the Song of Songs is the holy of holies. So we see over here from the, from the Mishnah that the, holies, the holy of holies, the textbook from the Tanakh is the Shida Shidim, the Song of Songs. You know, the temple had a lot of um, of sections and had a, a, a public section when everyone was allowed to come and then had a more private section or more of a um, exclusive section where only people of, of, of the tribe of Levi or the Kohanim were able to uh, enter and then they had the most inner section where only the Kohen Gadol came in once a year in Yom Kippur so he's using over here that all of the all of the um, all of the scriptures are Kodesh. They are in the category of, 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 uh, of, the, of the place in the holy temple where people were allowed in. Or at least the Kohanim and the Levin were allowed in. But Shira Shirim is Kodesh Kodashim. The Shira Shirim is like the holies of holies, where not, no one is allowed, only the Kohen. Meaning that the, the bar of the Shira Shirim is very, very high. So Zach, you want to read text to be. be. What is the Shira Shirim? Or let's at least start the first line. The Song of Songs by Solomon. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. So right there we have like the Mishnah say that the Holy of Holies, it's not talking about a connection. Um, I mean, this is actually uh, King Solomon talking about the connection that he has with God. And he says the whole, of, of the whole book is, is a mashal, is a... Um, parable between um, husband and wife, but King of Solomon was referring between him and God, or between the Jewish people and God. But the way that he starts is already with, uh, with, uh, with uh, kisses, and then it goes on and, and, and it becomes intimate. So right away we see that celibacy is not according to uh, the Jewish thought or Jewish philosophy. Not only in, in text we see it, but also in and in the halakha, also we see it in the Jewish law. So it's like, when we read text three, this is from Maimonides. Maimonides. Um, what is the proper degree of love? It is that one loves God with great, immense, abundant, very powerful love to the point where his soul is bound with the love of God, such that he thinks of it constantly. Just as when a, mal, a man falls lovesick for a particular woman, he cannot remove her from his thoughts. 
with an even greater intensity should a person love God. As we were commanded, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This concept was implied by King Solomon, Song of Songs, when he stated, as a metaphor, I am lovesick. Indeed, the totality of the Song of Songs is a parable describing this love. So even in the, in the, in the legal text of the Torah, it says that we have to practice, or we have to have this love that the same way as, as husband and wife, they always, or they should always be thinking about each other and, 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 and loving each other. The same thing is with God. Text 4, we're going to see that not only that in, in, a, in a parable way or in a way of mashal, the connection is something that is celebrated, but we're going to see that even in the physical act of being intimate is also Kodesh Kodeshim, is also something very holy. Um, Nina, you up reading text four? Mm-hmm. Know, my children, that all of that of all holy matters, there is nothing as holy as the holiness of a marital union. If it is done with holiness and one sacrifices oneself in it, as our sages of blessed memory have instructed us. So according to Deshalot, saying that the holiest experience that actually a person can have it's not really putting on tefillin. It's not really lighting Shabbos candles. But the holiest experience that someone can have is being intimate in marriage according to, or in the, in, in the parameters that the Torah gives us to be intimate. So we see clearly that Torah's view of intimacy is the opposite of what might have been the, you know, the, the popular thought. That celibacy is something holy. We will see over here that no, totally the opposite. Specifically, or the pinnacle of holiness could only happen when someone is married through intimacy. Now the question is, how? How does that work? How is it possible? Or, or what's the explanation for something uh, like an intimate relation that is the holiest of holiest endeavor that a person could, uh, could engage with? Because it's bringing life into this world. Okay. But not every single act is to bring life. That's also right. If a woman is past uh, her prime, does she... Does she then stop having sex? Yeah. No. You don't stop no. having sex, but do the, is it still the Holy of Holies? Correct. So, my, the, so Harrison said that, you know, to bring in children. So I could understand if, the, if, if someone is, is able to be pregnant has plans, you know, but I'm not going to talk about family planning now, but what about someone who, let's say someone who is a, a, a barren infertile. woman, infertile, or someone who, you know, who uh, is already pregnant. So is there any value on intimacy after that? Because there's no other children coming. So you, you said a great uh, um, um, point, but there must be something even more. Is it that when something is, something is wholly separate from your average daily everything and then you create that space it's like a holy situation it's unique it's separate and it's just for the two people inside of that space so that's that's unique holy because it's it's for itself for the two people within itself right so that's exactly where we're heading now you're you're already saying the same point but we're gonna a little bit um shape it with with the next section i'm happy that that you're here because last week 
you ask something that is different between spiritual. What's the difference between what was the question between something that's spiritual and something that is emotional? Yes. Um, uh, this, um, um, We're talking about like how do you tell spiritual connection versus like an emotional? Yeah, correct. Can't they be the same thing? Right. So last week, the question is: Is it the same thing? Is uh, emotional spiritual? So emotional and spiritual. Last week, I I didn't expand on the answer, but thank God we're learning this because this is going to give us more clarity. What I meant last week is that something that is your question was more valid, meaning that something that emotions and and, and psychology could be as could be spiritual as well. But we were talking last week about a soul, and that's the key word that I didn't mention, is the holy part of it. That the soul relationship, yeah, that's the last court, last class, we spoke about that connection that there is in marriage is a soul connection, and that is a holy connection, and that is the back end, or that is the actual connection of marriage, and then expresses itself also in the front end, in the physical relation, or the... The, the, the two people getting together. Besides Harrison, anyone's always got it? <laughs> That's really good. Uh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> can, we, can we define holy? That's exactly what we're going to do now. Okay. Question for you guys. What, how do you guys define something that is holy and something... Question. Holy and spiritual, is it the same thing? Is it interchangeable? Any definitions for holiness, for spiritual? I really feel like holy is like when you take something and you make it separate for a specific purpose and that spiritual isn't the same thing as holy but it can be the same in the same like realm something is spiritual in the pursuit of making it holy or adjacent to being holy i think it's kind of like lighting shabbat candles is holy as opposed to just lighting a candle at the end of the day because you want your apartment to smell nice or because you're getting sage or whatever exactly and that's like a spiritual thing Maybe like the setup for the candles, that's when you're starting to feel that spiritual love. And then once you go on to actually light them and say the prayers, that's when it gets holy. Yeah, that's, that's on point. But we're going to even um, develop that, what you just said, a little bit more. Text number... Um, text number... Five. Oh, but before we start with... Just a second... Yeah. Holiness or holy in Hebrew, again, you have to go back to the Hebrew words, the words they are originally in the Torah. That's what gives us also the, an understanding of, of, the, of, the, of the idea here in the world. And holiness is kedusha, something that's kadosh, that is something that is holy. And spiritual is ruhani. Ruhani is something that is in the, in, the, in the realm of spirit. What defines something that is holy? How ob- uh, holy, we were saying how holy seems to be more towards object oriented, but spiritual is really the encapsulation of it. Shabbat's holy. Person. That's not an object. But it's a, so that it's may a be one definition. Spirit of time or something, but spiritual is, is through the person that it becomes spiritual. Is, is the person creates the spirituality or spirituality is regardless of the person? I think that the spirituality comes from or is viewed by the person that without the person there, it's, it's just holy. But in being a part of it, it's spiritual. Okay. I feel like a place can be holy and it can also be 
spiritual because something holy is in that place so you go in with a certain mindset and have a certain experience as a spiritual like aura I guess that's the only way I can so <laughs> so meditating in the Himalayas is that spiritual or holy Spiritual. In the Himalayas. No. Spiritual. Not holy? Mm-hmm. No? Why not? Well, maybe, maybe um, like... holy is done by the monk. The, the... Well, yeah. And then the spiritual might be... Know, spiritual, the way you describe that to me, spiritual sounded more like the action, the, the you part, and the holiness sounds like it's coming from a thing or a place. Thank you. Someone was talking about that. Yeah, before. I think I was thinking internal versus external. Yeah, that's what it. I think yeah, holy is more like godly. Like you go to the holy sites in Israel, yeah, it's more like godly, more religious. Yeah, okay, like, this is great because from from I'm going to take from here. I'm going to take from there. I'm going to say exactly what it says over here. Basically, kedusha. It's something could be translated as well as something kadosh umuvdal. Kadosh umuvdal in Hebrew means something that is separated or exclusive. And in simple words, everything that is separated, exclusive, or a channel for God's presence is holy. Anything that interrupts or is friction with God's presence is unholy. So, tefillin, before that, how do we know what is holy and what is not holy? So we look at the Torah. The Torah says exactly to us what is it that Hashem needs from us. It tells us exactly why I created the world in the first place. We're here in a mission. And everything, every situation that we have or we encounter in our lives, we have the ability to make from that situation something holy, something that is a conduit and a way to channel God's energy into the world, or to just keep it as is without that holiness being channeled through. So that, just imagine like a, like a window or a pipe. You know, a pipe is the ability that it's is is a tube that has the ability to take water from one place to the other. In other words, doesn't interfere in the process of of the flow. So anything that in this world that is able to conceive God's presence or holiness, God's presence, that is something holy. In other words, that is separated. That is not anymore an item in the world without a, a, a destiny or without a specific rule, but it's something that God could rely on it. It's something that God could express himself through it. So meditating in the Himalayan might be very, very spiritual. But meditating in the Himalayan, there's nothing godly about it, nothing holy about it. On the other hand, putting on tefillin, might not seem not, not, might not seem anything spiritual because you know you're just putting some leather around your arms or lighting Shabbos candle might not seem spiritual, but although it might not seem spiritual, it's something holy because that is what God needs from us and there's a way to channel and to bring God even in that situation. So, from what you guys said, that's the more more the definition of holiness, something that is exclusive or secluded for a godly purpose. And anything that is obstructing uh, God's ability to rely or to express himself in that situation, could be an item, could be a situation, could be time, could be a day. You know, we say that the day of Shabbat is holy. The day of Shabbat is holy because there is the ability of God to channel through that day. There's a more of expression of God in that day. 
Now, from our end, we should not obstruct that flow of godly energy into the world. And that's why we're not allowed to work. We're not allowed to work because once we start working, so then we obstruct that flow of godliness in the world, or specifically more in our lives, or in our surrounding, in our situation. By us abstaining from work, we are allowing God to be expressed even in our surroundings and in our um, environment. So with this definition of something that is holy, that basically is something that you allow God to go through, allow God to be present, we're going to read about the Kerubim. The Kerubim, or the, in English I would say the, the, the cherubs. Cherubim. Cherubim, how do you say it in English? Cherubim? Cherubim. Okay, cherubs. So we're going to see what the Talmud has to say about the cherubs and how that relates to husband and wife relationship. Okay, uh, Josh, want to read text five? Yep. When the Jewish people came up to Jerusalem for the festivals, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the temple courtyard was rolled aside, and the cherubim, whose bodies were intertwined one with another, were shown to them. The assembled Jews were told, Look, you are beloved before God as the love between man and woman. Yeah, so we see right away that we're going to see... Um, we see, number one, over here, that the most inner part of God's temple was, uh, was uh, f- male and female images coming together. Right away, we see that celibacy, it's not, uh, 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 it's not a, a, a value in Judaism. But not only that, text number six, uh, Zach, you want to read? Sure. Yeah. Oh, we have two Zachs now. Yeah. Yeah, when you say being shown, it's like, this is a metaphor or there's like idols? There's not like a... No, so that there's actually the, the, the cherubs on the temple were physical shapes, physical statues of a male and a female with the wings upwards, embracing on a embrace um, stance position stance. Yeah, um, cherub. Yeah, it's like a little angel. Um, <laughs> is it the babies or is it the full grown? Full grown? Uh, it was was kids shape. And their wings are. And their wings were touching. Yes. Um, I'm always saying, I'm, I'm, I have the powerpoints over here. What is seraphim? And the what? Seraphim and cherubim. What's the difference? I think it's the same. Um, okay. Which Judaism's view on masturbation? So the general view on it is that it's a waste of human life, and that's why it is. Okay, forbidden. so towards men because is men that is that just towards men? So for women, it, there's no general view on it then. It happens on a cycle. Oh, like you mean so the- when a woman has a woman who is goes through gets her period when she gets her period when or when she goes ovulates and there's no seed it's known as a waste of an egg so that's that's the basic concept of mikro yes that's when 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 the egg is there as a potential for life and that life doesn't come to completion so there is an aspect of, of waste of life that comes into it so that's why there is a period of purification process Okay, but a woman masturbating, they don't care about a man. It's like, that's a waste of life. Right. I mean, just, I mean, 
getting pleasured, that there's no, I, I, again, if it's something that is, um, if it's a, on, I'm talking on the woman's side, if it's, uh, if it's embraced, I don't know, I don't think so, but if it's, if it's forbidden, um, I think it's not. I'm pretty cool. sure it's not. I know that by men, it's, it is. It's something forbidden because it's, a, it's the idea behind it. It's something it's a benefiting women. Just for you to know, according to philosophy, Hasidic philosophy, uh, we're, got, we're kind of like getting off subject over here, but um, what is more important on a market? Maybe you, Josh, could uh, light us. What is more important, the offer or demand? What, but what is more important? The offer. Demand. If there's no demand, demand, no matter the offer, it will never be taken out. Agree? Yeah. yeah. Demand dictates the offer. We live in a society that thinks that at least that, 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 um, that celebrates achievement and doing and giving. But then there's this other aspect. Um, markets and so many other things show us that being the recipient, or in other words, being the nurturer, is even more important than the one being provided. So the so according to mysticism, the woman is the reason why the man exists in the first place. We didn't know that just science-wise. Well, what? Well, just science-wise, that's pretty uh, Science also, it's also, it's also agree with Jewish mysticism. I'm not saying no, I'm saying that, yeah. But it's, it's not about, it's not in that feature that, you know, men are more than women, and it's never about that. It's about both coming in total unity. Okay, um, let's continue. Um, Zach, text six, you read already? No. Okay, yeah, go ahead. I will arrange my meetings with you there, from atop the ark's cover, from between the two cherubim that are upon the ark of testimony. I will tell you all that I will instruct you to relate to the children of Israel. Yeah, so God is saying that I will show myself through where? Through the, through in between, what's, from between the two cherubim, that is where God expresses himself to Moses. So if we have the concept of this male and female figure, we take it upon us of male, our husband and wife, when they come in unity, that is the way that God expresses himself. He's telling Moses on, on, on when, he, when he communicated with Moses, where physically is coming, but the lesson for us, or the lesson on a microcosm, and that could apply also on, the, on each individual's life, is that God expresses himself in the most, as we read before, and now we're going to read text number seven, but the most, the most expression of God comes through the cherubims, through the connection of male and female. Uh, Jeffrey, you want to read text number seven? And this is according to the Zohar that we'll see that how that applies to husband and wife as well. It is written, he is in one. In one, should it not read, he is one? From this we learn that God only abides and dwells in one, in the person who achieves a holy oneness nowhere else. When is a person called one? During the union of intimacy. When a man and woman unite, they become one. They are one in body and one in soul. They are one person, and God dwells in the oneness. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, like, we think of the, the marriage, like, marriage is a holy union. It's like because these Shema's come together, it's the same thing in intimacy. Right, so intimacy is the ultimate expression of those two neshamot, of, of those two souls coming together. They, they, the completion of that union is through intimacy. So that's why we see that God says that he's not, doesn't found, he's not one, he found himself in one. 
on those two parties or those two people that come together and become one, there is where God expresses himself the most. And that's why sex being um, holy it depends on the partner. Because if you're, if you're spiritually aligned, if your souls are meant to be together, then when you come together, it's, it's you're one. But if you're not on the same, if you're not soulmates, I think in this view, then it wouldn't be seen as a holy act. But if you are, so it kind of depends on the partner, right? Not only that, it's, but we're going to see that there is like three levels of, uh, I mean, we're going to define it in three ways. But ultimately, yeah, what he's saying is basically that there needs to be a, there need to be soulmates to begin with, or there need to be compatible to begin with, in order for God to be able to channel himself. Yeah. And, and, and how connected they are, that ultimately will depend on how, you know, spiritually, spiritually aligned are, are the parties involved, are the people involved, husband and wife. That's why when people um, um, are dating, that's one of the things that you don't only want to date someone who's a, who's a, a nice person, um, but someone who's also sensitive, who's able to um, be sensitive even in the most private times when there's no one else around. That's also a... a Isn't that when you should be? That's, that's, that's when it's most important to do it, not... Not when everybody's around. Right. So the reason why I say that is because a lot of times when it comes to intimacy itself, there's, there's no etiquette. There's no etiquette. Etiquette. You know, to eat, we'll know exactly how we eat. We'll know exactly, you know, where the fork goes and, and, and the napkin. But when it comes to something that is intimate, uh, there might not be an etiquette for it. Unless, unless we, we look at the Torah again. And we see that there are guidelines. We're going to see that. Is there guidelines on public displays of affection? The, so public displays of PDA is not forbidden according to the Torah, but is, is, is the sensitivity around it. It's more the sensitivity around it. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, holding hands is also an intimate act. Although society now sees it as nothing. And I think well, that's I don't the hold hands with somebody unless I get it. Sorry? I get it might be because of my sensory processing disorder, but like when I'm holding hands with somebody, it's the it pressure is very like big for me. Which is like Charlie when he applies pressure therapy to me, it's huge. So like for me to hold hands with somebody, not only is it intimate, but it's, I'm letting them in in a much more like a mental level as well, and like not just like sexually physical, but an actual physical level. So like for me to hold hands with somebody is like it is very very like I've well, I love them. In. I think that's what you were saying before, right? Is that we're so um, we, we, something like holding hands is like, we just take it for granted. Like we just do it. It's something we do on a daily basis, but there is that like higher meaning to it that you just mentioned about it having more, it carries more weight than just what we think. Right. And, and like it has more meaning. Which is why you wouldn't do it until you were married with. That's exactly. That's because, uh, I mean, that's because of number one, sorry, number one is, is the halakha. That's the guidelines, you know, right. we're going to see that. Sex itself, it's not something that should be um, that should be rejected. It's the total opposite. Just imagine an atom, you know, or atomic energy. Atomic energy, if it's well channeled, it could power cities and it could power countries. The problem is when that atomic energy is not channeled the proper way, so then causes atomic disasters. And the same is with intimacy. Intimacy following the guidelines. So then there is the proper energy is related in the way that it should be. So then the results are magnificent and it's totally holy. It's 100, that's the holiest endeavor that person can engage with. But if it's not channeled the proper way, so then is taking this 
such a high energy on a destructive level. So that's why there is a lot of, um, of ways the Torah says, the Torah says, you know, God created the human being, designed the human being, and it says the best way to be intimate is um, X, Y, Z, whatever the halachot is, whatever the, whatever the laws are, but that, that there, is a, there, is a, there is a way of how to get to intimacy. Because at the end of the day, now we, we use around the word sex with intimacy interchangeable. But there's no one, the Torah doesn't need, no, you don't need to look at the Torah to know, um, or someone doesn't need to look at the Torah to know how to have sex. Dogs do it, horses do it, cows do it, humans can do it too. But to be intimate, Teva, it's intimate, so very different than just having sex. That's absolutely correct. And that is what marriage is about. Marriage is not about having sex. So that's, an, that's, that's a... A bonus. Not even that. It shouldn't even be a focus or a goal or a bonus in our relationship. Because then you make it about a certain performing. You make it about a certain act instead of the connection that the intimacy brings. In other words, you take away everything the same way as we kind of like jumping ahead, but the same way as we said that there is a, you, something that is holy with, from us to God is basically us removing everything to allow God to express. Intimacy at the end of the day is removing everything between husband and wife to be able to connect with each other. And there's nothing in between. And that explains a lot of um, halachot when it, comes to, um, when it comes to the bedroom. For example, you cannot have uh, lights on. Why not? You cannot have. Uh, you can't have lights on. You cannot have lights, and you cannot have. Is it forbidden uh, or recommended? It's uh, recommended. Um, no, that's a great question. That's a great question. No, it's it's a valid question. I was expecting, is, yes, I was forbidden. That. Yeah. Uh, well, lights off? No, no. The question. Oh. It's the middle of the day, and there's the sunlight. That's that's a great question. It's a valid question. Uh, and, Do you need uh, blackout curtains? So, so technicalities of that. Yeah, there is a lot of ways around it. Um, Another thing, it's recommended. Blindfolds, okay. Blindfolds, no. It's uh, might be an alternative, but it's something in between men and women. It's between something husband and wife, and there should not be. There cannot be anything between husband Question, and wife. Question: Where did the stereotype, the whole sheet thing, come from? Like, was that ever actually a thing? Was that you ever cannot, a thing? According to Allah, you cannot have anything between husband and wife, meaning no, no clothing between husband and wife in the time in the time of the act of of intimacy. Um, the whole sheet thing, I don't know where it came from. I heard tzitzis. once that it came from the, tzitzis. From the tzitzis. But that, that's, like, that's like, you know, a, a fairy tales of a fairy tale. <laughs> so I, I cannot... You, you watch a talus, and the, there's the, you know, the, the little ones that go underneath. Uh-huh, I know what it They're is. a sheet, and they have a hole in the middle. Oh, that's right, because you put so your head through it. it. Yeah, you're drawing it. But that's, that's, that's the theory of the that's theory. That's so funny. Anyways, let's get back to the point. The, the idea of, of intimacy, or the idea of all these guidelines, something salachot, is that we're basically saying that you need to take away everything, all the things between the connection of a husband and wife. If the lights are on, we automatically see things. So what is you our see mind? see each other. What you see things oh, of like each other. You you're not able to see physical selves. Uh, so the mind in your mind is. Are you not allowed to appreciate your wife naked? Not in the time of intimacy, because if you appreciate the, the 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 other person's body, so then you make it about the body, not about the other person. When you when you when you miss someone, let's say you, someone that's close to you goes away, you miss him. What do you miss about him? Their eyes. No. The their eyes. Their, so their if you chop the eyes, stuff, yeah. who they are. <laughs> 
you don't miss something them. specific yeah. about the person. You don't, the, you don't you don't you miss the person. Yeah. It means something about the person. We're talking about the person you care about. Yes, of course. Something okay. you miss. Someone you miss. You know, you don't miss something about her or about him. You miss him or you miss her. The time of intimacy, you're trying to connect with him or her. Not about the body. It's not about uh, things of the other person. Because then you make it about things and you don't connect to the other person. Time of intimacy, the, the goal is to be able to remove all those things, everything that stands in between husband and wife, and to be able to connect with each other. Now, nowadays, you know, it, 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 as I heard from, uh, from Rabbi Manis Friedman, who was very wise on this, spent a lot of time thinking about it and, 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 and learning what Hasidic philosophy has to say. But he says that the worst thing that a husband and wife could say after they're together is, so how was it? That's just, a, not just a husband and wife. I'm talking husband and wife. Okay. Why, the question is, what do you mean it? What's the it? What's, what, what, I mean, weren't you there? Or where were you? <laughs> it, it's the most insulting thing you could do. It's like you, they were together the closest way possible. Is the idea that you're supposed to be having a, this, 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 like one experience, so you shouldn't have to like ask the person, it should be felt, you should already know the answer, is that the idea? You should be feeling close, that there's no it. Okay. There was no, there's nothing else. It's only the husband and wife. There's nothing else. There's no things involved with other in the bedroom. So if the husband asked, or the wife, so how was it? It was like, who invited it to the relationship? <laughs> then you take, and, and that, that, what they just had was sex, not intimacy. I mean, so, honestly, you'd have to ask. But that's another point. <laughs> the thing is that intimacy is the ability to connect with the other person, removing everything or getting beyond, or getting past all things in between two people and connecting with each other. Okay, let's let's try to cover some ground. Yes. We yeah, let's go ahead. Um, so we have three levels of unity. You know, at the end of the day, we spoke about connection of souls, but. Uh, you know, when it comes to the, to the bedroom, okay, so what does that mean? So we have three levels of unity. And the first one is uh, page 40. The first one is uh, commitment or focus. And, you know, within, as we said, within the, the, the parameters of halacha, within whatever is forbidden is, is allowed. So then each one has their own quote-unquote needs. And, and those needs need to be met. Now, this is... This is for modern psychology or for modern times. This is the pinnacle of intimacy, where the needs are met. That's like that's the reason why you even marry, to have your need, your, your your needs met. Now, this is the lowest level of intimacy, because if it's about needs, so we kind of like we said before, it's about things. It's about things that need to be met. It's about certain. I, it makes it like it. We talk about makes it, it. it. it sounds Correct. Like, yeah. At the same time, it's a first level because inti f in fully intimate people ultimately have all the benefits of it. Have all the benefits of, of, of whatever needs they have or the need that, that they were alone or they were not alone. All of that it needs to be um, um, fulfilled with, uh, with intimacy. But starting from bottom up, the first way is where the, the needs need to be met. Um, 
Elizabeth, you want to read text nine? Sure. Sex is the most powerful, all-pervasive force in human experience. It may be intensely personal, meaningful, and creative at one moment, and be personalized, meaningless, and careless the next. Much of its glory is that it can bring us as close as we may get in life to experiencing the mystery of our mortality, and because of this, it is sanctified. Yet it can also be a blind, nearly irresistible force seeking wanton release on the biological level, and in this way, its sanctity is perverted. Paradoxically, sex, the most chaotic, powerful, and untutored drive, can only be fully experienced when it includes an element—excuse me—when it includes an element of discipline and precision. Yeah, this is what we what we said before that there is a certain um, guidelines that the Torah gives us of of what's the best way to contain this powerful energy. Continue with questions for discussion. What are the common threads that bind Judaism's rules and recommendations surrounding sexual intimacy? Yeah, so we, we mentioned a few before, had lights off and uh, not to have clothing and uh, cannot be intoxicated and all of other um, laws regarding intimacy, husband and wife, is precisely because not to make it about things, but to make it about each other, to make it about coming together. And yeah, the, coming of com- the act of coming together, that is where God could express himself. We read it before, we didn't really expand, but God doesn't rely only on something that is one. Or we said that God relies on something that is one. And, 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 and the, this connection between husband and wife and intimacy, it's the most one relationship or connection that they could have. And that's why that's where there's the most expression of, of, of God. Now, at the end of the day, having the individual needs met, that is something that is um, part of intimacy, but that's not what intimacy is about. Text 10 and text 11. Um, Harrison, you want to lead us? A husband must fully provide for his wife's food, clothing, and conjugal needs. Onata is linguistically related to the word ona, to respond, but this mitzvah requires a husband to respond to his wife's natural needs. Yeah, so we see that the first text number 10 says, Kshe'erak suta ve'onata. Onata translates as conjugal needs. And then, ona translates as something that answers, something that responds. So we know that in Hebrew there's no coincidence, and the fact that these two um, words have different meanings is because these two meanings are connected. And as we see in question 40, and, and page 43, question for discussion, how might the two meanings of the word ona, which means set interval, and to answer, to respond, be related to one another? Yeah, I said, uh, yeah. Ona is the, the being together, but more specifically to set an interval. And as well, ona is to be responsive. The way these two are together is because the, res- the, the being together is a response to the other person. In other words, the intimacy, it's not really about fulfilling your needs, but it's even more fulfilling the other person's needs. Now, this is the second level of intimacy. We're going to see it now um, from Nachmanides as well. This is a higher level of intimacy, but yet this is not the reason why we get married. Still, it's about things. It might be about, you know... Uh, Things that some that that, in, that that personal needs, or this may be needs of the partner um, or the spouse, but ultimately this is not what the real intimacy according to Judaism is about. So 
We see it in text at 12. Nete, um, you want to read text 12? We see that this idea also is in the halakha, also is in the according to Nachmanides. You are to engage her first in matters which please her heart and mind and cheer her in order to bring together your thought with her thought and your intention with hers. And you should say such things, some of, some of which will urge her to passion and intercourse, to affection, desire, and lovemaking, and some of which will urge fear of heaven, piety, and modesty. You should attract her with charming words and endearments and other proper and righteous things, as I have explained. Yeah, so we see that the idea of caring for the other or, or, or catering for the need of the other person, but it also goes, trickles on, we see it also even in the halakha, that someone needs to be, um, um, the affection and everything, needs, uh, the affection and the relationship needs to be uh, responsive and according to the needs of the other person. I don't understand the last line. Some of which will urge fear of heaven, piety, and modesty. Right, because even, uh, even being intimate could be done in two ways. Could be done in a way of purely, in, uh, uh, purely coming for pleasure yeah. and seeking pleasure, yeah. but could be done for a higher purpose, or could be done in a way that is respectful to the other, mm-hmm. and and a, 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 a way how to um, a way how to know is or the or the general uh, meter to know if you know if two people were were being intimate or not is if they feel closer before or, 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 or there's no close, if they feel closer than before or not. Yeah, what does that have to do with saying things that make someone fear heaven or modesty? Because even, uh, even, even in the time of intimacy, someone could be according, again, once we know that there is a certain way of how to be intimate, yeah. you know, so you could either be intimate according to what the legal Torah says, Meaning, there is, as, as you ask, you know, there is something that is advisable according to Torah, and there's something that is legal or, or needed according to Torah. And there's two ways that I behave. Either someone could, you know, do in, be intimate and only in the way that the, the minimum requirements, or someone could be more of a, on the pious side and say, you know what, we're going to go even extra, we're going to do even more, we're going to see what other, what the sages recommend about it and, 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 and how to be the most sensitive that we can be. So even in the act of intimacy, there is a, there is a, a range of how to be and how to behave. It doesn't really need to, when it says a fear of heaven, it doesn't like, need to go to, go to shul or do something that is like really, you know, uh, um, um, really explicit that is fear of heaven. But within the act of intimate, there's also a, a way of how to be intimate. And then we have the third, and that is the, 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 the pinnacle according to Judaism, and that is the reason why we get married in the first place. And that's the purpose or fruitfulness aspect of the, of the, of the relationship, of the intimacy. Um, Molly, want to read text 13? Sure. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. This is the first commandment that we have it's from classic. the Torah. What? Classic. Oh yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like be fruitful and multiply. You say that to everybody who gets married, be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. Now this doesn't only mean fruitful and multiply in a, in, a, in a physical way. That only means in a physical way. In the fruitful and multiply according to Hasidic philosophy, specifically according to the Chabad rabbis and the way they taught um, their Hasidim was that being fruitful and multiply could be if you know Aleph, you go and you teach Aleph. 
and from what you know or your identity, you create other people to be the same way as you have a Jewish identity, you create that other people also have a Jewish identity.